welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I'm joined once again by Kevin, and I'm recycling here, the Kevinator, Hume. <laughs> How's it going today, Kevin? Not too bad, man. That's a good back in the day, back in the day uh, nickname right there. Speaking yeah. of back in the day, uh, happy birthday. Oh, you called me out. <laughs> We're recording this on Thursday, April 29th. And I'm 36 years old. Yeah. We met when um, you were, I think we met 20 years ago, maybe even before that. Oh, God, <laughs> no. 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 Probably. Yeah. Man. Apologies. I think my slack is going off in the I don't hear it. background. I don't hear um, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. So we called you the Kevinator, but also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good throwback for that reason. Also. Another throwback is we're having another recall. It's official. Ugh. Last time we got the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, this time, who knows? Um, the recall is official, though. Caitlyn Jenner mm-hmm. has thrown her hat into the ring. That's the big celeb. But, uh, but, but with all, there's, all, there's more. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, not official. But uh, this morning I heard um, Randy Quaid is <laughs> – you know Randy Quaid? Dude, okay. That that the what's his face? It's cousin yeah, Eddie. cousin Eddie. But also, isn't he like super batshit now? I thought that I've heard that he's like super off the walls. These, if you believe the liberal media, <laughs> Kevin, then or the things that he tweets, uh, then maybe you would you would say so. Um, he was also that drunk pilot who gave Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith I mean, a serious assist. That's one of the best things he's ever done. On Independence Day 1996, seriously considering a run. <sighs> yeah, it bums me out because like, he does seem to be like – I would have thought, judging from uh, Christmas Vacation, that he was like the kind of guy I'd like to have a beer with. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it seems like he may have had one too many beers in his lifetime. Brain yeah. might be a little. Yeah, I <laughs> think maybe. I think I've heard that Dennis Quaid is a little squirrely too. So it might just be um, might just be a thing. I think there runs in the family. Yeah. He could deliver, like he delivered Chevy Chase's boss, Bill Murray's brother, to the Griswold residence on Christmas Eve. You know, he did tell Clark. And get you something real nice. Uh, yeah, that's what he'll do for California. <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner, I learned, to, uh, speaking of my birthday, I was today years old when I learned she's a Republican, mm-hmm. which must be a taxes and small government thing. I'm not thinking it's not a religion I thing. feel like I learned this a few years ago after, uh, after her transition at some point. I don't remember exactly when, but I just, I, I remember reading that she was a Republican and I was like, ah, it's <laughs> probably a rich yeah. It's probably a rich thing. <laughs> um, but I did want to run down um, some of the other names. Uh, not that anybody's going to know any of these people, but I mean, at the top of the list, um, besides Caitlin, we have uh, Kevin Faulkner. Fal- Falconer. I think he Falconer. was the guy that ran against Newsom in the last election. I feel like that's what I read. Well, he is also the former governor of <laughs> governor. Former mayor of San Diego. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, and, yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. And he sounds kind of like a um, 
like a superhero. The Falcon. <laughs> yeah, this is the guy. Falcon Punch. This is the guy that was making headlines back in like December, January. Yeah, yeah okay. he came in early. This being, guy. being like, I'm gonna, I will run. So he's been, he's been talking about it for a while. Yeah. Mary Carey, former adult star who ran against Gray Davis back in the day. Uh, okay, sure, I remember yeah. her only for that reason. <laughs> oh, okay, Kevin. Yeah. Sure. Only for that reason. <laughs> no, I just mean like, you know, like yeah, I do remember her running back in the day. What else did yeah. she done? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's probably made some some. I guess she's made some films. Um, John Cox. That's who, the guy that ran. That, that's that's the, guy. the guy. Yeah. Um. Doug. I don't know how to say this name. Doug Ose. Ose. How do you spell I that? I don't know. O s e. Os. Os. Whatever. He briefly the OCs, great band <laughs> yes. from San Francisco, mm-hmm. now the Los Angeles area. He briefly ran for governor in 2018. Um, someone who just has a single name like Madonna or Prince mm-hmm. uh, goes by Angeline. Angeline. Nope. Don't know. She said she's thinking about a run. Um, this is what it's going to be like. It's going to be a bunch of weirdos yeah. again. Again, again, why? Again, um, you know, Tom Steyer, not a Republican, keeps saying he's not going to run, which kind of makes me nervous when someone keeps saying, I'm not going to run, guys. Um, Jenny Ray LaRue, a businesswoman from Reading, is running on something of a technocratic platform. What? Platform for data-driven solutions. Fascinating. Whatever that means. All I can think of is the missing LaRue. Have you seen Mouse Hunt? Have we talked about Mouse Hunt before? <laughs> I don't know if I have. You know, Okay, let me break it down for you. Fantastic film. A true family film that's fun for the kids and adults. It has Nathan Lane, Christopher Walken as, as the loopy, crazy mouse uh, rodent exterminator guy. Uh-huh. Uh, Lee Evans, who, if you don't know who that is, that's the guy who pretended to be a disabled British guy named Tucker, but was actually a pizza delivery man named Norm in something about Mary. Okay. I remember that guy. So, so those are the three big names in it. Um, and they, uh, they're like broke struggling brothers, Nathan Lane and, uh, Lee Evans, and they get a house, they inherit a house and it's a, you know, total like money trap, money pit type thing. Uh, it's just falling apart. And they're like, "Ugh, this sucks. What are we going to do with this house? Then they discover that it was the missing LaRue, famous architect, uh, fictional, I think. Interesting. <laughs> and, and, and they're trying to like sell it, flip the house. But um, there's a pesky little mouse who uh, gives them hell. And there's, it's fun. It's a fun movie. All right. All right. I recommend it. All right. Grover Coltharp. A police officer turned insurance broker whose name sounds like someone that would have worked directly under General Patton. <laughs> and Sam Gallucci, a senior pastor from a church in Oxnard, hmm. the city so nice, they named it after cowballs. <laughs> I stole that one from my friend. And one of this show's ghostwriters, I'm, I'm giving you credit, Tony. <laughs> Tony Baloney. Thanks. For that joke. Thanks, Tony. You gave that to me many years ago. Um anyway, that's the list so far. Yeah. Um, um not a very promising list. <laughs> and I'm sure no, it's only and, gonna get more ridiculous. Yeah. 
why is it? I mean, I guess it makes it makes sense. I understand why people do it. This is you get get public. It's free publicity if you can be you know if you have like a little little bit of a publicity or uh, fame. Like then you say you're running for governor, then people like us make fun of you on the radio, and you know maybe you sell some t-shirts or something. <laughs> Yeah, I just I don't I don't know, man. Like, one, who would want to be like who legitimately would want to govern this state? Like, this state is bonkers. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, this it's such a huge place with a myriad of of issues that are just so. I mean, there's fires, there's (laughs) there's drought, there's you know, the upper state wants to secede and be its own portion called Jefferson. The state of Jefferson. You know, there's just so many issues of everything everywhere. And there's homelessness rampant in every major state. Income inequality, housing crisis. I mean, you know, like you, there's so many things. And like we want to. Fucking Elon Musk. Uh, and, I guess he moved to Texas. Did he? Well, fuck that guy. Well, I. <laughs> I mean, I like grinds, uh, but just, yeah. Like, I mean, if more power to you, but don't just do this to fucking throw your hat in the ring, like have some actual reasons and policies and things to actually go up against somebody who is trying his damnedest to do stuff and is basically only really getting this because he had an unfortunate thing where he went out to dinner. He went out to dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you guys have never gone out to dinner before. Right. I mean, you've probably never gone to the French laundry. I mean, but agreed. I mean, yes, it's snooty and it's elite. And I'm sure we'd probably catch a lot of these Republican candidates there. But, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Eating eating whatever drenched in truffle sauce or whatever. (laughs) You know, I don't know what rich people eat. Uh, Yeah, me too. I don't know. Anyway, coming up on the podcast, we have Lily Sinkovitz, author of this week's cover story, Journalism at San Quentin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. back with Lily Sinkovitz, author of this week's cover story, Journalism at San Quentin, which you can read in print and on our website. Welcome to the podcast, Lily. Hi. Hi, everyone. My name is Lily. I recently wrote a story about the incarcerated journalists at San Quentin, and I'm very excited for everyone to give it a read. Yeah. So so let's start by having you just tell us a little bit about your story. It starts on a rather sort of macabre note recounting the COVID-19 outbreak that tore through San Quentin prison um, over uh, summer of 2020. Um, but it then takes a turn towards something that might be a little bit more hopeful. Why don't you just kind of walk us through the, the story here? Right. So... I first found out about the incarcerated journalists when I was home isolating with my family in San Francisco. And I, along with a lot of other people, 
was very concerned when I found out about what was happening. And in the news, every single day, I was reading about the numbers growing and growing, but there always seemed to be something missing. Um, And it was the voice of the incarcerated people who were actually going through what was happening in that prison. And I started to do a little bit of research, and I actually ended up reading an article that I didn't know at the time was written by an incarcerated individual. And one of the first lines was man down. And it was a horrible story about what was really, really, truly happening to the people who were being affected by what was happening in the prison. And that's really how everything started. And so that intrigued you, I guess, that that this man was was a journalist inside inside the prison. A prison um, is a place that we kind of think of as where people go to, you know, be locked up for maybe, you know, five, 10 years, maybe their entire lives. Um, some, some people are ultimately put to death in prisons by the state. But one of the most interesting things that, that I found editing the story with you was that I learned that at least one of the formerly incarcerated people you talked with actually asked to be transferred to San Quentin from another California prison because he was so intrigued by the fact that San Quentin has a newspaper. It's called San Quentin News. And there are, um, it, it's, um, the, the writers there are helped by professional journalist volunteers who go in and coach them. Um, and I think of prisons as really tough places, right? And, and San Quentin stands out in my mind as a particularly tough, dark place. I, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because it's the prison that's maybe closest to where I live and, you know, some of the most infamous murders and stuff from, from this region have ended up there. But it may be that the um, administration at San Quentin, along with the volunteers, are making this prison a bit more humane. Like, what, what do you think? Yeah. So one of the main questions that I had throughout this entire story was, you know, why is this only really specifically happening to the degree it is at San Quentin? I -hmm. think there are times that we've heard about certain writings and stuff like that coming out of a prison, but we've never seen something at this level in a prison. And of course, that's shocking to a lot of people. What Steve McNamara, if you read the article, says is prisoners aim to be transferred to San Quentin. And it's because the paper in itself, it's it's really, it resembles why people want to be transferred there. And it's because there are so many volunteers who come in there and they really dedicate a lot of time to not only helping the paper, but making connections with a lot of the incarcerated individuals. Right. And, you know, in the, in the article you say, you know, this, as you just said, I mean, the, the paper is indicative of, um, the level of volunteership that's happening at the prison. It's not just this newspaper. There are lots of other vocational programs and it seems like there are a lot of people in the Bay area that are, um, willing and eager to go into San Quentin and, and help, um, these individuals learn trades, learn skills, learn new hobbies, learn new tools of coping. Um, because, um, several of the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people you talk to in the story say, you know, or at least one says, you know, for a long time, I never imagined my life outside of prison and, and that changed. And part of what helped that change was, you know, working on the newspaper and, and probably just becoming more mature as well. Um, so you mentioned that these newsletters, um, are allowed at, at, 
all the prisons in the California um, state prison system, the CDCR, I guess that's California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Um, so, but but it, at San Quentin, the newspaper has risen and been elevated and, and has a profile that a lot of these other newspapers don't. Like, for example, uh, this isn't the newspaper, but there was a podcast produced out of San Quentin called Ear Hustle. And um, it was nominated for a Pulitzer. Um, and, you know, both of the men behind that, uh, co-founding that, are now um, free. And one of them, um, a guy by the name of Earlone Williams, I think that's his nickname, um, was, you know, his sentence was commuted by uh, our former Governor Brown. Um so, so that's happening at San Quentin, but then you look at other prisons and these newsletters are allowed and, and these newspapers, they're, they're trying to make these newspapers a reality there, but they're not from your reporting. It sounds like they're not as good. And, and maybe that has to do with a lack of volunteership. Yes, definitely. It's definitely not a lack of individuals who want to participate in something like this. And that was made very clear to me. Um, a lot of my sources told me that these prisons really, and the individuals in the prisons really want to get something going, really want to voice themselves. And it really is reflective of where San Quentin is, not just with the aspect of it being in the Bay Area, but just its progressiveness in general. It's mm -hmm. not only the volunteers, but the so these newsletters and newspapers they are allowed with the approval of the administration and that obviously is going to be different everywhere but a lot of what plays into that is the volunteers together yeah. so it's it's everything that's happening together and i had um jesse vasquez in the story tell me about how volunteers in different areas where he's been in prison. He was at Folsom State Prison and a couple other prisons in California. And it just wasn't the same level of interaction. It was for him extremely different where he had been incarcerated before San Quentin. He didn't have any level of connection with the administration or the volunteers. And when he got to San Quentin, it was such a turning point for him because it really it really showed him a different perspective and it showed him what he wanted to put his effort into from what he told me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we're talking about the, you know, the Bay area being sort of a, a liberal, uh, a, a progressive bastion, um, a place where, you know, um, well, the, this entire past year, I think a great deal of public attention has been centered on the criminal justice system. Some would call it the, the carceral system. Um, the slogan abolish the police was big this year, um, abolish prison. These are positions that may never come to fruition. Some would call them radical, but I think there is a willingness even among Republicans in Washington to take some steps towards reform. And, and when you pitched me this story, it struck me that this could be like kind of a manifestation of meaningful reform. And, and, and it strikes me that in the Bay area, like if, if we're, if people are willing to have this conversation nationwide, like it's really happening in a big way here. Um, you know, we have the anti-police terror project in Oakland, um, and <clears throat> other organizations like that, that are really trying to, and really pushing to like change the way our system works and, and reform it in a, in a really meaningful way. So, um, like 
in your conversations with the the currently incarcerated, the formerly incarcerated, the you know the academics who study this, um, the volunteers, does it seem to you like this might be something of a step in that direction toward meaningful reform? From everyone I spoke to in this story, I, you know, I spoke to a lot of different people who surround the idea of reform. And there's definitely been, this outbreak has caused ample discussion. I mean, it, it really kind of pushed it in everyone's faces. It's in, it's at its forefront. And one of the, one of the biggest things about the story, you you know, one of the themes is freedom of voice. Mm -hmm. And it's another question is, you know, what does that mean right now, especially in the area, the era we are in right now, what does freedom of voice mean for someone that we don't regularly or ever hear from. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's just really symbolic of, you know, where we're at right now is we're in an era where people may be more willing to listen. And so that's where these journalists play into the story. It's, you know, it's about a lot of different things, but it's about journalism. And, you Mm -hmm. know, what is journalism? It's learning about different people's experiences and different people's perspectives And that just really plays into what's happening right now. And the pandemic, of course, again, amplified really this this voice that was there, but it just really put it at the forefront. And I think it, from from everyone I spoke to, I think it made people think. And, you know, I'm not here to say like whatever side of anything, but it's, it's, it's important because it's, it's there. People know, yeah. you know, and in order for anything to change, regardless of, you know, what your belief is about what should happen in order for anything to change, people need to know about what's happening. And that's why these journalists are so important is because they're really living through the experiences and they're putting that out there for people to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perspective that, as you said, you know, we, um, we don't get very often. Some of us don't get it all. Some of us don't seek out. And the fact that, um, the, this outlet has gained such prominence and, and is so visible, um, you know, regardless of what you think, we now have a window into what it is like for these men, um, and I assume in some state correctional facilities, women are contributing as well. Um, but it's a, it's a window into a world that we don't get to see very often that we only get to think about in terms of like TV shows, like, you know, that maybe make things look worse than they are or exploitive, um, you know, or, or movies. So, um, it's a really interesting piece and you can read it on our website, sfweekly.com or by picking up an issue of the paper, which is on the streets now. And I want to thank Lily once again for joining us. Thanks, Lily. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. Our inimitable co-host is Kevin Hume. 
Our audio engineer is Mike Huguenor. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week. We'll be right back.